0: hi welcome to another episode of be my beard podcast (laughs) today we're here with drexton
1: i'm drexton clemens uh he him his and uh today i'll be talking about representation in the art industry i guess or just in general
2: usually how i start like all of our interviews is i say okay like so tell me about baby drex like where like, you know, where did all this start?
1: Oh, man. Um, so it was crazy. Um, I wanted to be a lot of things when I was a kid. I wanted to be like a chemist or a, a journalist or a psychologist. And, the, and um, what happened was I just loved comedy growing up. I used to study it. So I would like put on comedy specials all day and all night after I finished my homework. And um, I wouldn't even laugh, I would just watch them for like, oh, uh, I love this guy's timing, or I love this guy's crowd work, or I love like the way he, this guy crafts a story or like their facial expressions or whatever. And then my dad and I, uh, we would watch SNL every Saturday. So I haven't missed an episode of SNL since I was maybe like 10.
2: I have never and- seen an episode of SNL. What? That would be a crime. <laughs> It is a crime. And
1: it's crazy because every single, like, every year that SNL is, someone always goes, like, SNL is not the same as what it used to be when I was a kid. And the thing is, like, no episode's perfect. Like, you have to craft an entire hour and a half episode of a show once a week, every week. Like, no, you're never striking like 10 for 10, right? So, of any episode of SNL, there'll be like seven skits and like two musical performances. And of those seven skits, like two of them are great, right? And then like two are the worst thing you've ever seen in your life, and then the other ones can be okay. So um, yeah, I would watch that and like. But I never thought that, like I would be like uh, the person doing comedy. I just thought like I would just be a lover of comedy. And then I got my first job, or uh, well, my second job. My first job was as a lifeguard. I got fired because. We spread a rumor that we were going to do a skinny dipping party, and uh, that got out too soon, too quickly. And like, they, they, they pulled me in. Like, they, it was like the weirdest firing because they pulled me in. Like, yo, we can't open this lock. Can you bring your key? I was like, yeah, what's up? I bring my key, and they like take my key to open a lock, and they go, all right, thanks. And I'm like, so can I have my key back? And they're like, no. <laughs> I was like, why not? They're like, so we heard you're trying to throw a skinny dipping party, and whatever. Anyway, so. I got fired from there and then my second job was um working the phone lines at a pizza restaurant in my town and uh dealing with customers every day i had like crazy shit happen uh can i curse on here i can curse yes yes, yes. hell yeah that crazy shit happened and i would go to school every day and i would talk about what happened at work and people were like yo you need to do comedy, like the way you tell stories. Like, it would, it would be like a few people one day, I would come back and there would be like 10 people like, yo, tell that story from yesterday. And I would come back the next day, it'd be like two tables worth of people, you know? So at some point I'm just not eating lunch because I'm talking about like work. And I was like, oh yeah, I could do this. And then when I graduated high school, I uh, started doing stand up. I like hopped on stage for the first time, I loved it. And now I'm like like eight, eight or nine years in now so i'm loving it
2: that is impressive
1: yeah
2: uh drex also did work for starbucks at one point too so we all have that in common
0: siren slave
1: (laughs) hell yeah man like it's crazy because um i like to this day i hate starbucks but they still give me free shit so i'll take it like just throw in your partner number and like they have to but Oh yeah. Uh, that was I think Starbucks is the worst job I've ever had with the best benefit <laughs> I've ever had. Oh, that's no. like, the like the most accurate thing I've ever had.
2: We also work in like downtown. Well you did too, because you worked in New York, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the amount of times we have to tell people to like put their penises away is like absolutely ridiculous. You're not allowed in here.
0: Why not? Because you had your dick out. <laughs> right? No, yeah, we we had to kick people
1: out. we like uh we we had we've had fights because we Mm -hmm. are used to be like the like the 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 crackhead hangout spot like that was our starbucks ours
2: too (laughs) yours is
0: by the jail that's why
2: yeah mine was by the jail so that was really (laughs) oh yeah
1: every day all she did was just like apply makeup for four hours and so like her face was just like pasty and then um and then leave like she never she got like one coffee drank it the entire time there was like another guy um, who like tweaked out in the bathroom and we oh had, like, yeah oh no yeah there was there was a guy who just spilled coffee all over guy.
2: myself I'm so cute <laughs> Really. <it> was, like,
1: <laughs> and we had to call the, we had to call the ambulance and um and when they got there, like, before the ambulance got there, like, as soon as we were like, yo, we got to call 911, all of, like, every crackhead in the corner came in and, like, cleaned out her pockets. <laughs> the because they were
0: like... So they like, like, this should oh. be in a movie, but it's real life. <laughs>
1: right. You're like, Stephanie can't go to jail again. She can't handle it. And if they don't know what she took, then she can't go to jail. I was like, they're going to find out. But anyway, they emptied her pockets. They, like, cleaned out her backpack and, like... um that when they when they gra- when they grab the girl and took her out, one guy came in and goes, "Can you give her her cup when she comes back?" She left her cup. We're like, no. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. If she's
0: still alive, much less yeah. if she's this cup. So. Yeah. Oh First.
2: yeah.
0: Izzy, didn't you have an experience similar and it was on TV? <laughs> that
2: was so bad. Okay, so. There's this show called, what is it called? Rescue It's Rescue Something.
0: It's like on TLC or some shit is Yeah.
2: It? It's like essentially they just like follow around paramedics. And so I had to call because this guy had been passed out, like passed out in our face back down. corner, face down in a puddle of his own urine for wow. like hours. And like it got to the point where like my manager went over and like kicked him, like kicked his foot. And <laughs> he like didn't move at all. And so he's like, yeah, just call, like, 911, get an ambulance. And I'm like, cool. So I call, and they, like, show up. And it's just, like, this, like, little camera thing, but it doesn't, like, register to me that it's, like, that they're recording anything. Because I'm like, who the fuck cares? It's just, like, downtown Sacramento. Like, why would you give a fuck? And, um... (laughs) No, so they, like, finally get the guy to wake up, and they're like, what year is it? And he's like, 1997. And I was like, fuck, man. I was like, we all wish, but no. Um, But then he, like, so then later my, one of my baristas, like, sent me a video, and she's like, look, you're on TV. And I'm like, oh, cool, because I was talking a lot of shit with the paramedics and the firemen about how this is just, like, another day at Starbucks. But apparently none of that made it on. <laughs> no, I'm going to Clorox County. I will. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm kind of nervous for you.
2: <laughs> I'm just gonna have to come back to Sacramento to date. That's just the town that she's moving
0: to. There was a protest, like a BLM <laughs> protest, and a bunch of locals came in. and They were screaming dumbass shit like, "Oh, and they what? like." Matter and, like, attacking yeah. the protesters.
2: Whoa, and the cops no just, West like, watched. Made. No, they yeah. made the arrests now. But oh, it was yeah. after, like, a lot of, like, political pressure. But, like, the cops were just, like, standing and, like, watching these protesters get, like, their asses kicked by these, like, Trumpers. Yeah. So yeah. I'm moving to Clorox County is what it's called because it's hella white. So
1: No, look, there used fun. to be a white city a white county in Atlanta like that is like i'm from atlanta and uh yeah like atlanta is like the most progressive like woke black ass place in like georgia and then you go 15 minutes outside of atlanta and it's like the most racist place you've ever been to like there's one city uh one county Forsyth county there was like a a a white lady who got sexually assaulted and murdered in 1912 it was by three white guys but they blamed the black guy hanged him And then ran every black person out of town, and so for one hundred years, it was the most homogenous county in the United States. Because that's insane. Yeah, Yeah. like you couldn't go there after dark; you wouldn't make it out, like things like that. It was crazy.
2: There's a show
0: like that on HBO. I can't remember. Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Yes. Yes. And it was so good.
2: Oh, I'm. I can't watch any more shows. Both of you, stop suggesting shows to me. I have Jesus. a problem.
0: I'm like addicted to binging things on Netflix and HBO. So I'm Same. like, watch this. I just Drex- finished an entire season.
2: Oh my God. Drex told me to watch Search Party, and I'm like nine episodes in, and I hate it so much, and I can't stop watching it. I'm so mad everybody
1: oh. in that show is the most problematic person they're
2: so garbage they're so garbage every single yeah. one i'm like i hate you so much and i just want to know as soon as like the creepy cult thing happened i was like all right my aquarius ass is hooked but i hate everybody in the show so much
1: oh you haven't made it to the end of the first
0: season
2: no i think i'm on like episode nine the last one i have watched is, is when this? the uh search party
0: search party have you what watched it, it? On? HBO. I need to add it to my list.
2: Add it to your list. You want to
1: no. know the secret of the show from the, from the writer?
2: What? Tell
0: me. It's just a fucked up mystery team.
2: Okay, I see that.
1: So Dory's Thelma.
2: Uh, I've never seen an episode of Scooby-Doo either, so. What? I was raised by hippies. I wasn't allowed to watch oh. anything like that. You were I deprived
0: o- as a child. Seriously. I was
2: only allowed to watch PBS or things that had like... Cultural significance or educational significance. Wow.
0: Well Klaus is still so a child, so like yes. I mean David watch remakes of things like the new animated scooby doo I was like, this is so fucking cute. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I only ever watch shows with Klaus. That's pretty much how it goes.
1: Oh yeah. Did you you guys both watch the uh, Sam Jay special though,
0: did you? Oh my god, she is so fucking funny. I finished right. it after you left.
2: Did you finish it after I I actually oh, watched, yeah. finished it yesterday. Yeah. That was We fabulous. started
0: it with Izzy because she was like, oh yeah, Drex led to watch um, Sam J's stand up. And I was like, well, we're not doing anything. So like let's actually watch it. And I was like, oh my God. She is so fucking funny. So good. So
1: exactly. good. She's super nice too. Like, super nice lady. Um, but yeah, she's because she's been working on some of that for like a while. Like I, I remember the trans joke, seeing that um, on stage. And while she was working it out, and I was like, oh, that's going to be good. And then watching it in the special, I was like, oh, yeah, she figured it out. That was it. Nice. That was really good. So, yeah. I want
2: to see what her wife looks like or her girlfriend or whatever, her partner. Oh, they're so cute together. I can't.
0: Are you on Instagram?
2: No, I'm just on Google. Oh, the Googles. Yeah. Oh. That's like one thing is like, I don't know. Tolerating having somebody make jokes about you all the time—I guess you just get used to it.
1: You have to get used to it. Yeah, I know. I know a couple of my friends. Like all they do is talk about their relationships. Um, I don't know if that will be me. Like one of my favorite uh, comedians is this guy Roy Wood Jr. And he had this whole thing where he was like, "No one cares about me." Like no, no one. No one wants to hear what's going on in my life. Like, oh man, my kid just walked for the first time. He's like, no one cares about that. Like, get to the jokes. What do you have to Mm -hmm. say? So you just, I like that idea of like, I'm going to talk about me through talking about everything but me. If you can see like the angle that I'm taking the material I'm working with, then you can figure me out as a person. But I'm not going to explicitly be like, and this is what happened to me today. (laughs) And my girl wants to, you know, I'm not going to do all that.
2: Well, do you want to segue into talking more about representation? Like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Um, since we're talking about you in comedy?
0: <laughs> can we start? like, can we start in Atlanta because that's where you started, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. so I did uh, I did comedy in Atlanta for six years. Atlanta has one of the the best comedy scenes in the country and it's so many great people there because we it's very much like iron sharpens iron in atlanta where like if if you're given five minutes on stage but you're doing really bad you're off in three like they'll get you off stage quickly but if you're doing really great you have like 10 minutes or seven minutes or a little bit longer time so the onus is always kind of getting better as a comedian but atlanta is still very segregated so you had black rooms and you had white rooms and you had the darlings of both, like you had uh, white comedians who would never leave white rooms or mainstream rooms. Um, and you had black comics who would never leave black rooms or urban rooms. And there were very few people who like bounce between both. And I really wanted to do that from the beginning. So like- Why? Um, why? Because I look at the people who are famous comedically, right? And there are two different types of fame to me. Like there's like mainstream fame and then there's black famous, right? And so like like a Kevin Hart or a Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock is mainstream famous, but like a Mike Epps or or an Earthquake are, are more black famous. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to be black famous. Like I would, I would want to be respected in both, right? But I want to be the greatest at like, what I do you know, and to be the greatest, I have to like, I have to dip into both rooms. And also you get, you get different lessons in each room. Right. And New York is spread out kind of the same way, but in the black rooms you learned how to sell your material. Right. It's not enough that you can write really, really well. You have, you have to, you have to bring people in, you have to break that fourth wall with them. You have to bring people in. Right. But with like a white room, as long as your written is really great. As long as like, if I were to take your joke and write it as a tweet, would that tweet blow up? That's kind of all that matters. So that sometimes the performance starts lacking because of that. And so I really wanted to be good at both because my favorite comedians were good at both, you know? So I would learn how to write in white rooms and then I would take that material to black rooms and try to sell that material with energy or performance or whatever. And then when I was in Atlanta, my goal for like the first couple of years was like, I just want to be great. And I want to be good at this and I'll just make people laugh at whatever. And then I saw uh, Roy Wood Jr.'s special, first special. He, he taped it live in Atlanta and it was, he was talking about race relations and uh, music and everything like that. But it was just so well put together. And I was sitting there like, you can talk about what you care about. Like, I didn't know you could do that, you know? Um, and that kind of changed how I did comedy. So now it's it's, I still do both black rooms and white rooms, but the, the topics that I think are more understood um, in black rooms, um, I want those topics to be addressed in white rooms. And so now I'm kind of in both where like, I'll talk about what's happening with the protests or, or whatnot in a black room. And then I'll take that material to a white room because I don't want to necessarily just preach to the choir. There are a lot of people who preach to the choir and I think that like, and that's with any issue, right? Like you have, like there, there are a few Me Too comics, I would say in New York City, where like their entire shtick and every joke that they have is about the Me Too movement, right? Or you have, like you have different spaces that are very insular in New York, but I, I can't learn, representations weird, right? Because for me to learn more about the LGBTQI community, right? People who are outside of the LGBTQIA community have to book people who are who are of that community so that there is more of a platform and more of a reach for those people. And the same thing with black people, right? Like I'm, I'm lucky enough that like white rooms will be like, hey, we're gonna pick that one and he has to come talk. But now that I, I have this platform, I, my, I feel like it's my responsibility to bring the same topics that I'm talking about in black rooms to those rooms to educate the people in those rooms that would have never heard those topics in the first place. I know that was really long-winded, right? No, that's perfect. That's, no, I loved it.
2: That's a very on-brand for us, so you're perfect. <laughs> long-winded is how we do things. Yeah, I, I feel totally like a part that.
0: of comedy is being uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. And we've talked about that, that yeah. there's this, like, part of comedy where it's like, hey, your hair's on fire, but you have to be, like, laughing at it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right, but see, like, there's also a threshold, right? Um, because you can make someone uncomfort uncomfortable, right? But there's a there's a there's a line where discomfort becomes not listening, right? Where they're like, "Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I just can't. I can't, I can't anymore," <laughs> right? Um, but the way I like to do it is, I like to start with one trajectory of a joke and then flip it. So like, out. it's kind of like a looping before you fuck, kind of, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I'm not going to just put it in you. Like, I'm going to like, we're going to foreplay it out. I'm going to loop you up a little bit. We're going we're gonna, to, you know, fuck around a little bit. I have to do that all the time. <laughs> right. And then, and then fuck. But like, I think a lot, like when you're talking about like being uncomfortable, right? Fucking can be uncomfortable, but it can be less uncomfortable the more you're looped up for it. That's kind of like what I like to do with my material, where like I'll start on one premise of like, um, like I'm a cat person. I'll do this whole like cat bit, and you'll be on board with me for the cat bit, and then I flip it where I'm like, but I don't understand why people think that black cats are evil, right? And so then I go into like this whole thing of like, it's not like they're in the street playing Uno, like and being like, everyone draw four. You're like, yeah. <laughs> Cat. Like, I hate that cat, right? <laughs> um, but I did research and it turns out in Salem, black cats were the familiars of witches. So if you saw a black cat, you know, a witch was nearby because the only thing that they hate more than a black cat is a white woman with opinions. And then, uh, right? And then yes, w- yeah. once they're on board with that, they're like, okay, cool. Like, we're, we're, I get it, I get what he's trying to say. And then I go like, but here's the thing guys, black witches had black cats well before these white witches did, right? but then these cats got a little successful and got themselves a white witch and now they're evil. Right. And then uh, <laughs> I'm still talking about race, but I'm talking about it in the, in, in, cats. I've lubed it up all the way that I possibly can. And then I say, guys, um, I tell cat jokes cause I don't know how to talk about police brutality. And then I jump straight into like,
0: yes, <laughs> I love that.
1: Thank you. So that, that's what I'm trying to do is like, if I'm going to be in in your rooms, if I'm going to be in your spaces, I'm going to give you what I care about, but I have to do it within the reference and the mind frame of things that I think that they care about as well, right?
2: That makes so, sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I don't know where to go from that.
1: <laughs> Ask away. I want to I know all your questions.
2: All oh, that. okay. This is like kind of like non sequitur, but in your stuff like in your like bio and stuff it says your comedy is thesis driven what does that even mean
1: okay so when i'm writing a joke i pretty much start with a thesis and then the entire joke is me proving my thesis correct right so like i have a lot of music jokes where like i talk about how vague 90s music was and so um, then I then I follow it up with different '90s songs that fit
0: white people place. walking. That made me laugh
1: so hard. <laughs> right, where it's like, okay, like every song is about white white people walking, right? And then if I if I give you example after example after example, you may hit me with like a well, take on me it's not about walking, and it's like, yeah, but like there's 50 other songs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like I may not be right, but I know I'm not wrong. You know, mm-hmm. and so that's pretty much how like I look at every joke that i have like i have this um this bit about like martin luther king being a hoe but like that it's okay that he was a hoe and so i like i'm I'm looking at every single aspect of like him cheating on coretta and, and being like okay yes this is terrible but also is this a superpower to like be able to cheat this much and still be like great you know is this like um like is the civil rights movement the best alibi you could possibly have? Which, you know what I mean? Like just being able to call your girl up and be like, I was on the way home, but then we saw some injustice and this is gonna be a late one, baby. And like, you can like, like how are you gonna be like, no, I don't think you saw any injustice out there in those streets. Like, no, it's the best freaking alibi. So like, it, just, just things like that where like, I'm gonna hit you with a thesis and then I'm gonna break it down so that on no uncertain terms, like, I know I've proven my point, and if I do that with like the small stuff like music or you know uh Twitter or whatever, then when it comes to the more serious matters you're gonna follow me a little bit more because on the small stuff i you agree with me it's about
2: like I, like I, you've I proven to, your credibility
1: basically like I used to do uh I used to be a, an accountant, but like specifically like I would sell. Cost segregation work for businesses, and it's it's long and boring and stupid and dumb. But the thing one of our I best learned,
2: friends is an accountant. He's going to get really hard at this whole conversation. Really, yeah. I
1: freaking hated cost. <laughs> it was it was a good it was a good time in my life, money wise. But like, um, I would never do it again. But uh, when I was an accountant, uh, what I learned was same thing at a car dealership. If if I can get you to agree to two small things you're more inclined to agree with me on one big thing. But if I, if I can't get you in the door with the small things, I'm never gonna get you in the door. So the, when I'm doing comedy or when I'm working on a bit, I'm working on the two small things first. Like I know what I wanna say, but I have to get you in the door with these two small things. And once you're sold, boom, let's go on this trip, let's go on this journey, it's okay. It's all sales all it is selling your material
2: trash at that so
1: <laughs> no it's it's even it's even in the small stuff like when someone's like is this coffee gonna be good you know we lie to them every day and we're like no i mean it's it's a dark roast but like the dark roast has like a hint of chocolate and nutmeg, and, and we just we oh no i'm
0: straight up like don't get the french roast it, <laughs> right. like the trail and it tastes don't like the bottom yourself. of an ashtray <laughs> right.
2: So we talked about thesis driven and so that's kind of your process then is so you start with a thesis and then work from there.
1: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. So like, okay, top of that, it says Twitter is the Coke Pepsi taste test commercial of apps. And like, because for me, being on Twitter is like the I can't believe this is racist of that like, I didn't like every trending tag. I'm just like Lizzo and it's like racism, like how the fuck, how, when did this happen? I think I'm drinking Coke, and it's like, nope, White Power, double the white, <laughs> all the power, same great taste. Like, so like, then I kind of from there, uh, and this is like something that I wrote yesterday, or like, yeah, two days ago. So from there, I drop in everything that I think might be pertinent to it. So like, I love how when crazy things uh, happen on Twitter, everyone tags Jack, like Jack is gonna fix it. Uh, like Jack hasn't changed his profile picture since 2006; he's not changing anything. Then I went to like, that's why. So then I follow like the, the the track there of like okay when social media stuff happens who do they call and they always call Mark Zuckerberg, but like is is it because they need to call Mark Zuckerberg or is it because no one else is answering? So then I go like okay what who else runs social media apps? So then from there it's um like it's like he's probably he got pulled away from that Mrs Doubtfire music video he was doing in Hawaii to go and testify about Russia and. Like, he was probably like, yo, why would you pull me away from vacation? I'm like, yo, Jack won't answer our tweets, and Tom might be dead. We're not in his top eight, and I don't know what's going on. So then, like, from then, I go, like, okay, kids, anybody under the age of 25 is not going to know what a top eight is, because MySpace is that old. So then I go, like, and then I have to explain MySpace, and then in explaining MySpace, like, I feel like I'm, uh, like these Gen Zers would be like only eight friends, like eight, eight, like kill yourself. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like why? Like only eight, like I have 8 million followers on TikTok. Like there are more dances and renegade than you have friends. You're a loser, you know? And so, and that is literally how I started a joke. And like, I'm running through all of these jokes. So I start in one place and I just trail it on out until I, I feel like I've gotten all the meat off the bone. And once all the meat's off the bone, then I go, how does that connect into what I'm already talking Right. So then I, it's uh, less about Twitter and Jack solving the stuff on Twitter of like, then it goes, who should solve racism? And I think it's, it should be the cast of Queer Eye should solve racism because they've already solved toxic masculinity. So then I just kind of go into the Queer Eye bit. So then that's literally how I, I, I craft together my material.
0: It's really weird. It's very organized. I I like it. (laughs) It is very analytical. Yeah.
2: It's very relatable, though. That's definitely how I write poetry. So... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you looked at my notes apps, it's literally just, like, random sentences under, like, random headlines. Mm -hmm. like So... And then you cobble it together and make it something. Oh, yeah.
1: Like, my old notebooks, all of them... At, on pretty much every page is like joke, 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 and then like a random thought that has nothing to do with the material. So it's like it's always like, yo, white people, white people love walking. White songs like are all about walking. Jamaican food's kind of spicy. Like literally, that's <laughs> like how. It's so weird.
0: The point and, is just to keep on writing, right, and just get it all out. Basically, basically, yeah. But I don't know. It's it's
1: a weird position to be in right now with everything kind of going on in the country of like who I'm writing for, like, and into, you know, it's really weird, right? Because when the George Floyd thing happened, I started getting booked on a lot of shows. Like a lot of people were like, hey, you know, it's time to, re- to show some representation. So we're going to book you. And so the eight of us white comedians are going to talk about coronavirus and our daddy issues and your job is talk about the George Floyd thing like or race, right? Or like, we just think that your material would be so perfect for the time. And so then I got booked on all these shows where I was doing the exact same thing that I was doing before everybody. was like, we need all this representation. And it felt like very weird, right? Because I felt like for a minute, I wasn't telling jokes for me or to make people laugh. It felt like, I was telling jokes as a means for people to feel good about their like performative wokeness. You know what I mean? Like people would go in and be like, wow, so I sat through 10 minutes of a black guy talking. So I've done the work. I'm not racist, I'm anti-racist. And I'm like, but okay. And so for a minute there I was like a little disillusioned. Like, ugh, I, like, I feel like I hate it, I felt grimy. I would feel grimy after all all of these sets, but then it was like, okay, how do I? And like my material got angry for a second, and I was like, I can't do this. So like, I was like, how about I go back to like the basics of like, let me give you two things you agree with, and then let me hit you with something that I care about, and like that started working a little bit more. But it's weird, right? Because I'm I'm at a I'm at a crossroads right now where. I know if my material gets too political, and, and that's a weird word because inherently being black in America is like a political act, but I knew if my material got too political, then it would be harder and harder for me to continue being booked on the shows that I'm on because I think people are okay with being uncomfortable as long as the discomfort matches the level that they feel like they should feel. But the second that it's outside of that comfort level, then all of a sudden, eh, the tone of your material just kind of doesn't match the show that we're trying to produce right now, you know, whatever. So it's, it's about finding that balance, particularly because I'm one of the few in the space, right? Like I feel like if there were more of me in the space and the spaces that I've, I've been able and lucky enough to be in, then I wouldn't feel so self-conscious about the material because I know that there will always be somebody else because there isn't because it doesn't feel that way right now um i have to play the game feels like i have to play the game and uh and it sucks but i would much rather i learn with my audience and have the opportunity to do that maybe 10 20 50 people at a time than to never learn at all with anybody you know what i mean or for them to never have the opportunity or for them to only pick the people that match what they want to hear. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at.
2: We kind of talked about this and you used Obama as an example. Do you want to like do that story?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So with Obama, he was at a very weird like crossroad of how I, I feel like he had to be amazing he had to be be great he couldn't have had a misstep uh, couldn't have had you know a scandal anything like that because as the first and only in that space anything that he would have done wrong would not only ruin his ability to be in that space but ruin the ability of other people that look like him to, to continue to be in those spaces or at least continue to try to be in those spaces and so um the same thing is happening with most industries and definitely the comedy industry of like, if the few of us that are in this space mess it up for the other people who could possibly be in the space in the future, then we're doing a disservice to not only our crowd, but our community, you know? And so that's why I feel like there's an extra responsibility on me to play it safe and be, you know, so the darling of, these white, you know, comedy scenes, rather than to push the envelope too, too much. Like I want to push it a little bit. I want to move the needle, but I'm not. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I can't. I feel like I'm not in a position to yet.
2: So, what do you feel like the next step is?
1: The next step. Um, it's a tough one, right? I think the next step. Next step really is just continued representation. Like it's so. It's so weird because we just keep saying it. Like yo, there needs to be more black people in spaces and like certain industries, certain shows, things like that are trying, like there's a lot of shows sending out packets and things like that. But it's not necessarily just being in spaces. It's in the fact of like when this quarantine ends, when this pandemic is over, all of the shit people were talking with the black squares and the we need more of this and we need to fight harder. Like now it's time to hold those people accountable, right? And I just don't think that we can go back to the th- the way that things were um, after this pandemic, we can't, and especially on like a racial uh, issue, like on a racial level for me, because like I don't know if I'll make it home from a show every night, right? And so the thing that I would hate for me is the night that I'm taken is the sh- is the show that I phoned in. The show that I was just like, y'all like cats? Let's just talk about cats for 10 minutes. You know what I'm saying? So I have to continue giving my all, even though right now it might not even be my time. But I know that if I continue doing that, then maybe I'm opening the door or or paving the way for somebody who looks like me to to kind of carry that on. So that's all I'm doing now is just continuing the work.
2: This is like a hello white person thing to say, but that sounds so fucking exhausting.
1: It is. It is. <laughs> like- I'm so tired, and then, uh, like, it's weird because, I don't know, I I don't know why I feel like I have a responsibility to everybody around me, I don't know, I really don't know, I really wish I was selfish in that regard, because I would be so much less tired, and, like, so, I feel like I'd be so much more of a fun person if I didn't feel like I had a responsibility (laughs) to everybody around me, but, like, even when I'm running shows in Harlem right now, like, I'm like very self-conscious about the time. I'm very self-conscious about making sure everybody gets paid. I'm very self-conscious about like the safety of the venue. Holding on everything because, like I said, it, it's not just me. It's it's the people who look like me. I want people to go like, oh, man, there's some really good comics up here. Or, oh, man, this is a really great scene. Or, oh, man, these are some really great producers. And if I can just help them, you know, then that's, that's all I can do. And maybe one day I'll get some sleep. I don't know. But I don't think that's gonna happen anytime
2: soon. (laughs) All right, Drex, what is there anything else you wanna like cover, talk about? Like did we miss anything? Uh how about I ask you guys some questions? Boom. Okay. Okay. Nope. I love when our Bo. All
1: right. (laughs) It was beautiful.
0: (laughs) Nobody got to see, but he did a whole three (laughs) sixty.
1: Thank you. look I was I was like, I'm switching chairs. How does it feel for you guys as far as like like, LGBTQIA representation out here? Do you feel like the the country is making strides? What do you think needs to, like, how does it feel for you guys in in these spaces, but also particularly, like, white, like, queer people in these spaces?
2: I guess that's me, because I'm the white queer person. Um, I am extremely lucky in a lot of ways that I am cis white straight passing um so i don't i don't like personally see a lot of what you know other people in the queer community have to deal with um i don't see it firsthand like i've just got out of a long-term straight relationship or straight passing relationship and i only recently even like came out and so for me the whole experience has been really incredible but then there's always been this awareness of like that it's not always that way like just this week you know three trans women were attacked in LA and it was recorded and the police drove by and literally just like did not stop like a woman was bleeding out on the sidewalk and so it's just like remembering that while things have gotten better within for like queer people that there's still so much we have to do and so much we have to go and it is so fucking easy for white people to think like oh things are fine for us now like okay so to be queer and white is a completely different experience than to be a person of color and queer so we need to remember that like just because it's like easier for us to be queer in public spaces that if not all of us are there like have all those like privileges then we still have a fight ahead of us it's like comes back to intersectionality and all that because like black trans women are still like the most murdered demographic like that's ridiculous and it's not okay and it's not something that we need to let slide and so i don't know i kind of lost where i was going with this but i guess it's just like Coming, like, going back and forth between that, like, okay, I talked a little bit about this in an episode semi-recently with, like, the George Floyd incident where it was, like, or murder, that it was kind of like a wake-up call for me where I was, like, I was raised by hippies. I've always been, like, quote-unquote woke, like, a relatively, like, more aware white person, but I've gotten so complacent because it's not something I have to experience every day. Like, it's not something I have to see every day. It's not something I have to deal with all the time. And so I've gotten kind of, like, complacent in my allyship. And it's kind of similar within the queer community. Like, the more that I'm, like, the more out I am, the more openly, like, bisexual I am, the more I'm, like, seeing more things. And so it's just kind of, like, that wake-up call of, like, all right, I can't be, like, complacent anymore. I can't be okay with what's going on, which is something that white people are so, like, we fall into that so easily, where we're, like, that, like, performance allyship, where we're, like, all right, we, like, posted our Instagram posts, and now we're gonna, like, move on, because it's not directly affecting us, and so I I don't know what, like, white people need to do, except to just be more aware of this, and we need to, like, take this fight on so much more head-on, and stop taking, like, a backseat role, because, We've created these systems of injustice, and so we need to use that place of power. So I guess that that's like been my experience coming out more and like being in that space. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That felt really rambly and just like wow. long. Like, that's how
1: I've been feeling this whole podcast. <laughs> Is that like, like I've been like, yeah, and like heart and soul, and, here's <laughs> that, and you guys are like, uh huh. <laughs> I'm just like, uh like. It feels like 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 when Spider Man like unsticks himself from a wall, you know. You're
2: like whatever. Well, that's kind of how we run things. Klaus, do you want to talk about being queer? Klaus is more visibly queer than I am Mm -hmm. because he's more feminine.
0: Oh yes, I will strut down L Street in my high heels walking to work. It makes your full
2: face be. Oh yes, looking stunning.
0: With my romper and my ass cheeks out. Um,
2: <laughs> and we love to see it.
0: Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like right now America's moving backwards and a lot of play, like just in general, like trans people are still under attack. Mm-hmm. Like you just brought that up. Um, even politically still like. The healthcare thing with Exactly. Trump. Yeah. Taking away healthcare, like why? Or like here in California, they're trying to get rid of uh, get rid of equal rights, basically, like for jobs. Yeah, like that they can't discriminate against you because of sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, like you know things like that um, are still happening. And I'm just like, it's more in my face because I work right across the street from the Capitol. Um, and we get a lot of protesters in, and I like. Uh, I get so fucking hot-headed sometimes that I'm like, "Oh, I want to say some dumbass shit, but I'm like, nope, you're getting paid sixteen twenty-nine not to say shit.
2: <laughs> oh, I forgot that you don't... Never mind, sorry. Yeah. You, you need to be paid more, babe. I know. You need to demand that raise. I know! <laughs> <laughs>
0: <sighs> <sighs> when there was protests happening, like, a lot, I would go to every fucking one of them. Like, I didn't know how to... I didn't know my role, I didn't know what to do. And that was like, I'd never been to a protest. I was really sheltered when I was younger. So that was like, I don't know, I'm still figuring myself out um, in the world. Uh, that's been a big struggle of mine lately because so much shit is changing. And I'm like, okay, like who who is Klaus? Like, what is he gonna do? What's his part in everything? Um, and I feel like being queer and doing that is um, different. <laughs> it's different because I'm also learning how to navigate what to say when not fucking to say. It's so annoying.
2: What do you mean by what to say and what not to say?
0: Um, it's kind of like what Drex was saying earlier, like when you're in a white room,
2: <laughs> you know,
0: mm-hmm. like how do you navigate? I feel like that's what I'm constantly internally. That's what I'm thinking about all the time.
2: And you're a lot more like ambiguous. Oh, yeah. Like you could be more white passing or not white passing depending on the white people you're talking to.
0: Yeah.
2: Which is frustrating, I'm sure. I can't imagine.
0: Yeah, because then people are like, what? You're Latino? And I'm like, yes. Like, fucking Cuban and Hawaiian too. Like,
2: oh, the Hawaiian one is messy. And
1: it's weird oh, Because they, they, yeah you you have to almost know everything about <clears throat> you have to know almost everything about their spaces but they don't have to know anything about yours exactly right and so um and there's always that like weird like happiness that they get when they know like one thing about your space like like for example whenever gold digger comes on at a club and they're like oh our song and i'm like okay you know like they're like oh i know that one Nicki minaj verse from monster you're like great um but it it it's like it's it's weird because you there's almost like a hey I'm, i'm validating your space by understanding it to be able to navigate it but you never have to navigate my space or understand my space and it's just assumed that like we'll concede for you you know like we'll we'll move out of the way or we'll you know or you know Like, kind of like with gentrification, like, yeah, people get upset. They're like, oh, why are you gentrifying your neighborhood? But, like, there's an act of, like, hey, we're pushing you out. And then people, there's almost like a complacency to it because it's like, well, I can't afford this coffee shop. I can't afford this and this. So I have to move elsewhere. I have to move around, you know, other people who look like me. Whereas people can, like, colonize a space or a territory. And whether that be your favorite bar, whether that be, you know your, your your spaces or whatever, and there's almost like a there's like an unspoken like well, it looks like this is just what's happening rather than like a why are you in this space kind of thing. Does That's that make right. any
2: sense? No, totally. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of just like straight white women having bachelorette parties at gay clubs. Yeah, like yeah. the space isn't for you. Why are you here? Like
1: right, right. Like,
2: why are you like being overly flirtatious with the gay people at this bar. Like, it's bizarre. Things like that have never made sense to me. White people need to learn that there are spaces that aren't meant for us and that well, we need to be okay with that.
1: Well, also, it, it it's weird because a lot of white people colonize friends, right? Like, they're like, oh, you you, you have to get a gay friend. There's so much fun. this, that and the other, right? And then they're like, what, you know? Or you, you gotta get yourself a black friend, you know, because... The, they'll teach you guys how to dance. And like, oh, so, it's, so it's like, it's this weird, like, colonization. Like, there's a there's a lady out here that uh, we know of uh, who does that where, they're like, look at my friend here. I have a friend who's over there. And, yell, and it's like, my rainbow coalition of friends. But I, I am. It's
2: like playing bingo. There's, it's like trying to play bingo.
1: Basically. But, like, just because you have this rainbow coalition of friends it's still, like, the backdrop of your world. And I think that that is, like, what is missing. It's, like, yeah, you have a diverse friend group. Like, you're definitely a CW show, but, like, this still is about the Flash. Or this is still about the Arrow. You know what I mean? This isn't about, like, the side characters in your life. And and it's weird because, like, going back to, I guess, like, the comedy stuff, right? It's 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 the same thing. It's a colonization of, the, of diversity. Where it's like, we have this lineup that's so diverse. But, like, we're not going to listen to anything anybody in this lineup says about, like, their culture. We're just going to, like, clap and, and along with them because we're happy, you know? And
2: feel good about ourselves that we listen to it.
1: Because at the end of the day, the other will always be the backdrop. And that's, that's, I think, the problem. I think that's the thing, like, I don't know if I can leave the quarantine and that not be the... like that still be the case of like even even on the news i mean even like the black lives matter protests and stuff like that it's like a backdrop for other shit you know rather than like no we have to continue fighting it's it's weird it's so weird
0: okay are you ready for the ultimate question on be my beard so who or what is your beard on be my beard we have brought in the definition of beard to who or what helped you become the best version of you
1: uh ah, I would say that my my dad would have to be my beard. He is the person that is constantly pushing me to be the best that I can be. Um, and it he's he's a pretty he's a pretty awesome guy. Like he um he was a, he was a uh, cop for like 20 something years and then he ran for sheriff here recently in in Georgia and lost, but he like put everything into this to his campaign. But uh, also, like, my dad's seen me through everything. He's seen me through, like, struggling in Atlanta. He's seen me through struggling in New York. Um, You know, he always checks in on me. Uh, He's also seen, like, the worst parts of me, you know, and not seen him like, heard about him, And he's still been there, you know? Like, I haven't always been the best person. I haven't always, you know, I, I used to just do things to survive, you know? And if that means like whatever I needed to do or do it. So he, uh, you know, he's, he's seen me through all of that and he's, he's still loved me on the other end. So I think that that's, you know, that's amazing. And I think if there was any person in this world that I knew I could take something to, uh, it would definitely be him. And he was also at my very first comedy show. He was also, um, like at any taping I've done, he's also been at the taping and, um, He's also the one to go yeah i didn't like that one he's also really good at that just like i'll be like oh here's a joke and he's like ah you could do better i didn't like that and you know and you need people like that in your corner and so uh he's a great guy and um i don't think i would be the person that i am now without him
2: i love that that's so cute hmm. i love when people have their parents as their beard it's so rare and it's so great Mm -hmm. I'm like oh a normal relationship with your parents what is that like with my
1: dad yeah like my mom that's a whole other thing (laughs) but and it's also weird because the second I turned 21 like all of a sudden we were both adults in a room like it was like he was our he was my dad for like the longest time and then like I turned 21 I had already moved out when I was 19 so I come back home after my 21st birthday he's like popping wine Like hey, let's talk. I'm like what? Like we never drank. You never drank at your house, and all of a sudden, like I'm old enough, and you're popping wine at me. So you know, he's he's grown with me. He hasn't like kept me to this standard of like how we how I was raised or like whatever. He's he's grown with me as a person, and so I see him uh, like a dad, but also like a friend.
2: That's awesome. I love that. All right, gas yourself up. Where can the people find you? Where are you gonna be? What are you gonna be doing?
1: Oh, that okay. Let's do it. Uh, long list of things: crying to myself in bed, um, <laughs> leaving the bed, going to the kitchen, crying some more over some oatmeal, uh, starting my day, crying over a workout. No, okay. So you can find me uh, on Instagram at this guy Drex. Same thing with Twitter: this guy Drex, D R E X. Uh, I have an album on all platforms called And Another Thing. Um, I'm recording another one probably before the end of this year. Um, so be able to look out for that. Um, I also run comedy shows in New York, uh, four nights a week at Marcus Garvey Park. And, um, I'm all around the city of New York and I'll, and once coronavirus dies down, hopefully I'll either be touring or at a zoom show near you. So, uh, you guys can find me on all those things. Oh, oh, and Buzzfeed news. Buzzfeed news has me do a lot of shit, um, So where I talk about like two TikTok videos and racism. So uh, it's every week. It's just like, oh man, you can really do that with makeup. Don't touch black people's hair. Like that's basically uh, what I do for BuzzFeed. So um, yeah, you can find me there. So yeah.
2: And we'll put all that in the show notes too to make sure it's there. All right, anything else? Any final thoughts? Anything you wanted to add?
1: Yeah, you guys are amazing. Um, I love this. This is a great moment. And uh, if you guys ever just want to hop on a Zoom and talk again, I'm here to talk. Let's do it.
0: Oh, Jeff.
2: (laughs) We should do What the Fuck Fridays. Oh, that
0: would be a lot of fun. Yeah.
2: Would you like to be our next guest? Email us at podcast at gmail.com.
0: Give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and let us know what you'd like to hear.
2: Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast.
0: Beamed by the marvelous Wayne jetski We'd also like to give a special thanks to Miles Mitchell, our lovely editor. We would like to give a fabulous thank you to Quinn Lighting, our new social media manager. Welcome to the team.
2: All rights reserved.
0: We would like to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on this journey. Follow your heart. And be the best you can be.